This is episode 117 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Evolution of HR Accelerated by a Pandemic. This episode is part of our ongoing Near Daily series during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really honored to welcome a new guest to the show today. Patrick Wright is with us, and I'll introduce him. He's the Thomas C. Van Diver Bicentennial Chair and Founder and Faculty Director of the Center for Executive Succession in the Darla Moore School of Business at University of South Carolina. He teaches and conducts research and consults in the area of strategic human resource management. In particular, his research focuses on how firms use people as a source of competitive advantage, changing nature of the chief HR officer role, which is what we're going to talk about today, especially in the light of the pandemic, and CEO succession processes. He's published over 70 research articles, over 20 chapters in books, and edited other volumes and has co-authored two textbooks and two books. He uh, has been on the board of directors for both SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, and the National Academy of Human Resources. And get this, from 2011 to 2017, he was named by HR Magazine as one of the 20 most influential thought leaders in HR. And in 2014, he won Sherm's Michael Losey Award for HR Research. And in 2017, he won the Herbert Henneman Jr. Award for Career Achievement. So uh, welcome to the show, Patrick. All right. Thanks a lot, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, things are happening with people in the pandemic, for sure, which got me to thinking about the evolution of what we used to call the personnel department to HR to human capital. And now uh, we're finally talking about chief people officers, which I was excited to see kind of that elevation of the post. So take me through what do you think the driving forces have been in the evolution of the function and then the uh, eventually what arrived at the chief HR officer role? Well, you know, I mean, I, I tend to like to have a more historical perspective, I guess, coming from a liberal arts background um, and watching the evolution of, of a field or of a profession. And so um, when I uh, teach my students or teach executives around how the field has evolved, you know, I kind of start in the 1970s when what I'd say is the, the paradigm for HR at that point in time was compliance. You know, it was coming out of uh, the 60s where we had all the equal employment legislation and OSHA legislation. And so HR's role then was to you know, keep managers from doing stupid or illegal things. 
Um, and I always tell people that not that that went away, but each kind of <laughs> right. built on, on, on the previous one. And then you go to the turn of the decade and we had a recession. And, you know, what happens every time we have a recession is that the first budget to get cut is HR. Mm. And so the profession tends to rethink, you know, what is it we were doing um, that made us, you know, lack in value? And, and what do we need to do differently um, as we come out of the recession to provide more value so that we're not uh, the first budget to get cut? And so you go into the 1980s and you see this strategic HR um, a lot of people writing about tying HR to strategy, but I always say in, in a very functional or sub-functional way. Um, so there was a, a couple of books written in the early 1980s where it was, um, you know, chapters on how do you tie staffing to strategy? How, how do you tie compensation to strategy? So take each of those functional silos and, and describe how HR can help support that aspect um, or that aspect of HR can support the business strategy. So we get to the turn of the decade again, another recession, rethinking of the role, um, you get into the 90s. And, and this is really when I would say it was the strate strategic partner paradigm. I mean, you know, Dave Ulrich had his um, Human Resource Champions book that came out in the early uh, 90s. Uh, and, and really that's, you know, I would say Dave, uh, Dave was probably one of those people like an Albert Einstein. You know, you think about who are the few people um, who have had such a profound impact individually on an entire profession. I think that really was the beginning of Dave's impact. Hmm. But, you know, out of that time, what you see is that strategic partner paradigm um, and also a focus on, on the structure of HR functions, um, i.e. being you know, that kind of three-legged stool. Of we've got the business partners out working with business leaders. We have the centers for excellence or centers for expertise that do kind of the sub-functional stuff. And then we have this more transactional component, um, kind of a shared service component um, that does more of the administrative stuff. And then also a focus on competencies of HR people. What are the competencies that you need um, to be an effective HR professional? Again, uh, go to the turn of the decade, another recession of rethinking. And, and really, this is when you begin to see um, HR with really being guided by this talent paradigm. Um, and that is uh, you had in the late, late in the decade was McKinsey's War for Talent report. Mm. And then uh, following that, uh, right after Jack Welch's retirement, um, he and, and Susie Welch wrote that book, Winning, where it was at that point where, where Jack Welch really talked about the importance of talent, which is something GE was always known for. Um, but it was really that, you know, talent is the critical resource that organizations have to compete with. I see. Um, and so because he had been so successful, um, I think a lot of other CEOs focused on talent. And this is where I think you begin to see that evolution of the chief HR officer. Mm -hmm. So it was in that book that Jack talked about the fact that, you know, really there are three key people that run every business. One is the business leader who's, um, you know, kind of the CEO of the business. One is the finance leader who's bringing that kind of finance expertise um, to, to the decision making. And then one is the HR leader who you know, is bringing the, the kind of people expertise into the discussion. Um, and he always talked about, used the example of, you know, um, if you're running a major league baseball team, who's more important, the controller or the, the director of player personnel? And he's like, both are, right? Yeah. You've mm -hmm. got to make your budget. Um, but at the same time, you have to have the best talent. And so... That was when you really, be, really began to see the elevation of the chief HR officer 
you know, to be a, a critical member of the executive leadership team. And then you can watch how with, with a number of different events that happened across um, the, the business world, that position became um, even more visible and, and elevated with regard to the board of directors. So again, go back to the turn of uh, the 2000s when we had the dot-com bust um, and the, uh, you know, a, a number of executive pay scandals at places like um, Tyco and WorldCom. Out of that came the Dodd-Frank legislation. Mm-hmm. So suddenly boards had a, a greater responsibility, particularly in terms of transparency and visibility about executive pay. Well, who's kind of the pay expert? Well, right. the HR person. And so suddenly the chief HR officer became you know, kind of the, the um, primary liaison between the comp and org committee mm-hmm. and, and the rest of the organization. So suddenly CHROs were um, increasingly relied upon by the board of directors to, to um, be a resource for them. Go ahead a few more years. Um, I always point to HP. I mean, HP, I think they had three or four CEOs in the course of about two years. Um, and the HP board of directors got an incredible grief for their you know, poor governance of not having an effective CEO succession process in place. Mm. So suddenly boards became focused on CEO succession. And again, what is it? It's a selection decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, selecting a person who has expertise with regard to that. Well, it's the HR person. And so uh, chief HR officers were suddenly, again, um, in another arena being elevated to the, um, the visibility of the board um, and as a resource to, th- to help them and guide them with regard to CEO succession. And then a couple of years back, um, you saw uh, some, some of the kind of, say, scandals like what happened at Uber and Nike and Wells Fargo, where oh, there were yeah. um, you know, events that, that took place where you know, forgetting about the specifics of each one, in general, the common denominator was an attribution to a a, a poor culture. Right. And so boards became focused on, you know, what do we need to do to manage culture? Well, again, you know, who who on the executive team has that kind of uh, touch to the culture of the organization? And that's the chief HR officer. So, you know, you you saw this uh, next round of of, uh, the CHRO being come uh, being an, an additional resource for the board of directors to think about something that was um, a critical part of their governance responsibility. And so you know, here we are today with this COVID crisis. Um, and, you know, t- I, I actually heard um, uh, Brian Silva, who's a CHR at Fresenius Medical um, Services, that he, we were on this call today, and he was saying that, that basically COVID, this COVID crisis is to HR what Y2K was to IT. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that is that it has put HR as central um, to managing uh, and, and responding to, you know, almost every aspect um, of this crisis, because it is how do we create safe environments for employees? How do we create safe environments for customers? Um, how do we handle the uh, manage the cost um, if that means layoffs or furloughs for employees? Yep. How do we engage people, both our current employees and furloughed employees that we want to have back at some point? What are the talent issues that come into this? And then how do the decisions that we make today and through this crisis either reflect our culture or change our culture over time? And so it's bringing all of these things that we talked about before together in a crisis management mode 
um, which again, I think is, is uh, you know, the, the latest chapter in why the CHRO has become such a critical member of the C-suite team. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir, and and I I love all of this, this elevation of the role. And certainly, I was in corporate finance, so I was in the CFO role. But I was always frustrated by how little power and appreciation was given to the HR role. And I always used to say, you should never have HR report to the CFO, except if the CFO is me. <laughs> I'm really the one who appreciates what they do and the importance of it. I get the feeling that it's really worked better in larger companies, but I still feel as though in smaller companies, there's just not the appreciation given to HR that there should be, in in my opinion. Do you think that this will trickle down or will this ever change or what do you think? Well, you know, again, I, I think that Jack Welch started the, you know, increasing respect for HR in general. And, you know, if you looked at GE and their um, certainly, they've been struggling over the last few years. But if you looked at them, um, you know, in in the twenty to twenty five years prior to that, um, they were always viewed as kind of the model organization for valuing people, for building leaders, um, you know, for really managing their human capital well. And it was clear um, throughout the organization, even after Jack left and, and Jeff Emel took over. You know, again, that kind of tripartite um, governance team of the business leader, finance leader, and HR leader, um, where the finance leader and the HR leader were viewed as equals, mm-hmm. uh, nothing else. And so I think that that began to um, evolve into other organizations or be, be transplanted into other organizations. Um, I think there's always been a challenge uh, in that uh, the the you know chief HR officer is now at that level, um, and HR in general tends to to be at the table. But you see a lot of variation in the quality of input of those people at the table. Mm. I think we still struggle as a profession to have you know the best talent in the chief HR officer and HR roles. Um, and you know so anytime we put somebody who's a mediocre talent into HR. Um, it, it tends to hurt the reputation of the profession in general, and it tends to hurt um, the, the kind of perceived value of HR within the organization. And so, again, I think that's one of the things you see. Large companies are really investing. Um, the leaders there are really investing in trying to upgrade the talent in HR. Um, master's programs like our master's program at the, in the Darlamore School of Business, um, we're really doing everything we can to to build those that that business acumen and a, a kind of a passion for the business into our students as they come out, so that they're you know, not just HR geeks, but they're really um, people who love business and and love people and love to see the uh, the value of people kind of implemented through business decisions, and and so I think that's where it it will be a continuing struggle, but I think it gets better and better all the time as greater talent comes in. And greater recognition that you know in today's environment, really uh, human capital or talent is is the major way that a firm can compete, and and HR is critical to helping the organization attract and and retain that talent to compete. Yeah, I I love the fact that you're trying to make business leaders who are really passionate about HR because. I did see that as well. It's a little bit of a vicious circle. If you have people who aren't used to participating at the C-suite level, 
being brought in and then not contributing really at that level, then they do tend to get set aside with the organization, of course, the employees and everybody, boards and everybody losing in the process. But unfortunately... Let me break in just because this is one of the things that we do that's really unique, trying to instill that in our students. And that is we put them through a one-day assessment center when they enter the program, like day two that they're there uh, before classes start. Um, And they do leaderless group discussions where they're assigned a case that they have to prepare a presentation for the board of directors. And so it might be myself and another either second year master's student or a PhD student sitting in on a group of five incoming students as they process this thing and put together their presentation. And then they come before the board of directors and do their presentation and they get about two sentences in. And then we, as the board of directors, which is the faculty, just begin to berate them, particularly every every time they start talking about HR. Now that we need to do this because it'll be good for the people. And it's like, you know, look at the case. We don't have any money. So how are we going to do this with no money? Um, this is about making our business successful. And, and so it is that, that, that kind of um, penultimate experience they have where they come in thinking this is all about people and then realize that, no, it's not all about people. It's about the business mm-hmm. and people contribute to the success of the business. But that's the lens that you have to have in HR today is about how is it that we support the business not how do we support the people alone absent the business. Right. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. So one of the things that we can't change, no matter how great the people that we get into the HR positions is there's kind of an inherent conflict, or at least I think there's a perception that HR is conflicted. Often the employees have this impression that HR people are really there to serve the company and protect the company and they're not on the side of employees. Can you bridge that conflict for us? Um, you know, so it is one of those, those challenges. Dave Olvers likes to talk about this kind of tension. And it's not an either or. Um, it, it is this kind of dilemma that, that companies face. Um, and so the, the key is how do you navigate those, those kinds of issues in, in, in HR to understand that Um, It's not just about profits and it's not just about people. It's about bringing people together to create a profitable organization. Again, Dave always talks about the the most important thing that HR can do for employees is to provide a competitive organization in the marketplace. Mm. Um, And so I think, you know, that is, is really one of those key things. Um, And I like to think of it in in terms of it's not um, people or profits. It's how do we create a mindset um, of understanding how it is that people drive the profitability of the business. Um, and so if we're taking that lens of it, it's not there an expense and profits are determined in part by expense, but saying they're a source of revenue. They're the ones that make the organization run. Um, and, and when we compete on talent, we're going to be more successful in the marketplace if we have the best talent, if we have the best engagement, um, if we have employees who who are aligned around the strategic needs of the business, um, and and so you know yes there is that business focus, but it's it's how are we achieving the business's goals through people and not in an exploitative way, but in a way that that everyone benefits. So it's not so much a fixed pie that we're trying to divide up, but how do we grow the pie so that our employees are more successful? Um, that they have more job security, that maybe they have higher pay, they have more development opportunities. Um, and so it's helping to grow them 
you know, economically, psychologically, intellectually, um, and at the same time, through that, they're able to contribute to the success of the business. Oh, it's a much more optimistic way of looking at it, for sure. I appreciate that. All right, let's talk about the pandemic. So as you say, it's kind of definitely a crisis, almost feels like a perfect storm. So what challenges do you see for HR and what kind of people problems are happening now? Well, you know, again, I, I saw this, I um, mean, we had this discussion today, and it's, you, you can't talk about generic people problems because, you know, for instance, you could be um, Amazon.com or Walmart where, um, you know, your business is going absolutely through the ceiling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're growing revenues like crazy. And your biggest issue is how do you hire enough people and keep enough people on the job um, to be able to fuel the demand that's out there? You know, or you could be, you know, a, a, a hotel or airline um, where you're at the other end of that spectrum and it's, you know, right. what's the fewest number of people that you can keep around and, and maintain your economic viability and over what time frame? So it's kind of hard to say in, in general, this is what the issues are. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you're in a business where, you know, you're either on the top end and succeeding through this or you're um, you know, you're not being negatively impacted. Certainly, you've got some struggles with the shelter-in-place orders and so on. You know, in, in that situation, the focus is really on employee safety. And again, we've heard this from a number of our partner companies that um, you know, there's alignment around how do we create a safe environment for our employees and our customers, for that matter, um, because that's what's most important. And when um, we have, how do we care for the health of our employees? So when we have employees. Um, who are diagnosed uh, with COVID, how do we provide them with the, you know, the, the kind of medical treatment, the time off, um, the things that they need to um, you know, kind of maintain or improve their health? And, and so there is that focus on keeping them safe. If they are sick, how do we take care of them? And, and then, you know, uh, for the, the employees that are, you know, we may still have to furlough some employees, um, you know, how do we handle those? And then a huge issue around um, how do you manage in a virtual environment? You know, when people used to come into the office and have face-to-face meetings, um, and now they're all sheltering in place and we have to maintain communications. Uh, and, and so I think that's another issue that comes up. Of That was thrown in HR's lap as kind of, you know, within a week, figure out, right. how, you know, thousands of employees are going to work from home. Um, and, and again, this is, I think, you know, the, the great thing for HR is that, uh, you know, organizations had enough faith in them to get it done. And now that they've done it, uh, I think it'll have, have an even a deeper respect for what HR can bring to the party. Um, and, and so you've got those kinds of issues. And then, you know, as, as I've seen, um, there's another issue around leadership, right? Because, you know, one of my colleagues, Rob Ployhart, says, you know, under duress, we regress. Um, and so now that we have pressure on our leaders, we're seeing their true colors. Yeah. And a lot of companies, that's beautiful. You know, a lot of companies, they, they're, you know, just so tickled to see leaders step up, mm-hmm. exhibit the values, do the right things for the employees, be more focused on taking care of employees than they are in meeting, meeting short-term financial objectives. So there are a lot of companies out there that are seeing great stuff from their leaders. And, you know, there are some leaders that are showing up in the other way that, you know, when, when you've got a lot of money and every problem that comes up, you can throw money at it. it it's pretty easy to handle problems. 
Um, but when now all of a sudden the money's gone and you've got to you know, resort to other uh, solutions, hmm. then you see them um, um, kind of regress into authoritative or authoritarian, um, non-participative, uh, kind of me first uh, things. I actually heard somebody as well say, you know, it, it's either me first or uh, in, in terms of, you know, how's this going to impact me or my team or whatever, a very kind of parochial view, mm-hmm. you know, or it's, I want to be in the limelight. I want to look like the hero again, still about me mm, right. <laughs> in a positive way. Um, and so I think, you know, again, a good thing that comes from this is that we do see um, more about leaders than we would have seen before. In fact, um, one of the, one CHRO said in the, the meeting today that um, it is condensed. What it would might have taken us two years to see about a leader, we've seen in four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's condensed all of those observations to give us a lot of information about those people. Now take the other end. You know the, the companies that have had to furlough tons of employees. Um, you know there, I think the the key issue is, you know, how do you maintain engagement? How do you maintain you know, those employees in terms of feeling like they're part of your company, um, even though they're not getting a paycheck from it right now, you know, because when they come back, you want them to come back feeling good about where they work, not feeling bad about where they work. Um, and so what are companies doing to reach out to them, to communicate with them, um, to pr- provide them with as many resources as they can? You know, again, talking to one company that said, you know, they've provided um, six weeks of pay for employees that can't work right now. Um, and they said, you know, we don't know how long that's going to be able to last, but yeah. that's what we feel like we need to do um, for those people. And so, um, you know, again, problems are different depending on where you are on that spectrum of, of the impact of the virus. Yeah. The other thing that struck me as a real challenge right now is for a while there, it seemed like I was getting email notifications practically every day from Cooley about legislative changes. It was like, oh my gosh, these poor HR people are scrambling to keep up with this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just constant change. And, uh, you know, again, one of the things that you hear is that, um, you know, companies are learning, um, you know, who are the leaders that are really agile and able to adapt on the fly? Um, because the, the fact is there's, there's no playbook for this right now. And so mm-hmm. everybody's got to make it up as they go. And it's really showing, you know, both from an HR standpoint and from a leadership standpoint, you know, who's got the agility to be able to adapt very quickly. If you had to give some general advice to people out there, what would you say that employees need to hear from their employers right now? Well, you know, so um, I'll attribute it to both. I mean, Ken Chenal, who was the CEO at American Express, and Ron Williams, who was the CEO at at Aetna, um, I've heard both of them say that uh, the job of a leader is to define reality and give hope. Hmm. And I really do think that's um, one of the key things that organizations have to be focusing on for their employees, whether they're you know employed or furloughed or w- whatever. Um, and that is that you know we live in this environment right now where we don't know when the end is coming. You know, the, we, we we see some reopening, but again, is it going to be a year from now before we're kind of back to normal? Is it two years from now before we're back to normal? Um, you know, we don't know what that's like, and and people. Um, under conditions of uncertainty, uncertainty causes stress. Mm-hmm. And, and so to the extent that leaders can really define reality as, as clearly as possible, I think that's you know, job one. The second part is to give hope. And that is to be able to articulate, 
here's how we're handling this. Here's what the future is going to look like. Now, we may not know if that future is two months, six months, or 12 months from now, but this is what we want that future to look like. Here's how we're going to be changing in terms of our strategic capabilities. Here's how we're going to maintain a culture um, that, that you know, will endure through this and will actually um, become more effective through this. Here's how you know, we as a community are, are pulling together right now to help one another um, and, and to, to help those in need, um, both within our organization and external to our organization. Um, and, and that's when, when I hear um, CHROs just, you know, almost bragging about the things that, you know, it's not what they've done, but what employees have done, mm-hmm. either to help one another or to help people in the community. Um, you know, if you follow Donna Morris, who's, um, the, I think, eight weeks in as the CHRO at Walmart, if you follow her on LinkedIn, um, it's like every few days she has a story of what a Walmart store did where the employees on their own went above and beyond the call of duty to, to do something for, I think the one most recent one I saw was um, to have shopping carts stocked with toilet paper, paper towels, cleaner, all of that stuff, and having like 50 of those so that when the elderly people come in in the first hour that they're open before they want anyone else to come in, they're starting with pretty much everything they need in a shopping cart. Hmm. How cool is that? That's cool. All right. Yeah. So define reality and give hope. I think you've done that for us today. So I appreciate that. But before I let you go, I wonder if you want to share anything with the listeners, like how they could follow your center or follow your work or anything you'd like to share. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we have the Center for Executive Succession in the Darlamore School of Business at the University of South Carolina. That's a long way to go through all of that. Um, but uh, the, the website there is basically more.sc.edu backslash CES. Um, and that'll take you to our center website. We have a number of, um, we do a survey of chief HR officers every year. We usually write about three reports from that survey, as well as writing up reports from other research we do. All of those reports are available on the website. On that website, we also have uh, what we call CHRO conversations with our, you know, between an eight and 15 minute interview hmm. with the chief HR officer. Um, we do that really for everybody, but largely because you know, we're blessed with the ability to bring CHROs to campus and have them guest lecture. But we know there are a lot of faculty members out there that don't have that ability. And so we've tried to provide a video library for them to expose their students to the leading thinkers in HR, really the leading practitioners in HR um, through that center. Um, and and uh, we also have the center has a LinkedIn page. And then I'll also say um, I'm on LinkedIn. I do an article um, every Monday morning. Hmm. You know, always happy to see comments and, and feedback on the things that I'm writing about. As I tell the CHROs, um, what's great for me is that I'm not living this hair on fire moment like they are. Right. I get to sit back and watch it and, and try to ob- objectively make sense of what's going on and then write about it and, and see whether or not you know, my observations kind of accurately reflect their reality. So I encourage people to look at my LinkedIn page and, and read some of those. And please let me know if I'm on track or off track. I, I appreciate it either way. Oh, that's great. I'll provide links to those in the show notes also. So Patrick, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Great. Thank you. 
That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.